0: This is Tom Darling, your host for Conversations with Classic Boats, the podcast that talks to boats. Welcome to a new year. Welcome to season four of the pod. Thanks for tuning in. And if you haven't already, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. It helps us bring more fellow sailors to our stories. A quick announcement. If you're a Spectrum Cable customer here in the Northeast, you can get the whole library of conversations on the podcast channel of Spectrum Streaming, a great way to hear and see the gallery on the widescreen. Just go to the Spectrum page and click on the colored podcast symbol. Now, this episode, Fox and Kirby, A Century of Planing Pioneers. This episode has had multiple inspirations. First, I got a copy of a great book, that commemorates one of our subjects today on the late Bruce Kirby, who left us in 2021. The book is called The Bruce Kirby Story, From the River to the Sea, designed by his friend of many, many years, Mark Smith. I couldn't put it down. The second inspiration was my inability to get the name Uffa Fox out of my head. You know any Uffas? I bet not. But every time I looked, I was seeing Uffa. Even our narrator, Peter Taylor, brought back photos of an Uffa Fox design suspended from the ceiling of Seattle's wooden boat center. And last, but not least, I encountered Uffa in a book by Alfie Sanford, the cold-molded aficionado responsible for the Nantucket Illarion. The book features Exquisite drawings of the revolutionary designs that Fox penned to launch the trajectory of the world planing dinghy. Too many coincidences to ignore, I said. So leap into Uffa I would. He appeared to me more and more the Yoda of the modern boats I sailed, from the thistle through to the laser. Yes, the laser, which was the creation in 1971, of one Bruce Kirby. So the episode was set. Now what should the title be? Fox and Kirby? Or should it be Kirby and Fox? I figured no matter. One follows the other like night follows the day. This episode is part of a saga, in the Norse sense of the term, of connecting the dots of boat design over almost a century with names that are larger than life a of Fox, Bruce Kirby, and their disciples like Dr. Stuart Walker of Annapolis. Their common heritage is small boat performance sailing. As a sailor in Long Island Sound who escaped the slow and steady Blue Jay and Lightning, for the speed and thrills of the thistle and the laser, I can identify. I come from a planing boat family. We have a need for speed. So I settled on my title, Off a Fox, Bruce Kirby, A Century of Planing Pioneers. Now my father, Wells Darling, built Thistle 1079 from a kit delivered to the driveway of my first house in Huntington, Long Island. She came out purple, fitting for a thistle, then was repainted, I would say, aqua. The gallery for episode 26 has a photo of a 1964 thistle trophy with the color. She was called Naughty Gal. I don't really think my mother liked the name, but she sailed on her. I crewed on that boat from early in elementary school. I always wondered where the thistle design came from, and a book from my great-uncle, for whom I am named, clarified that. This book was by Uffa Fox eclectic dinghy designer, sailing personality, crew, and sailing instructor to England's royal family. Fox's designs, boats called 14s, or international 14s, were the missing link between slow boats with chines and quick boats with curves. The profiles and curves were in the 1920 revolution in small boat design. The boats were called, quote, planing dinghies, unquote. But a couple of years younger than my father up in Ottawa, Canada, a polymath teenage sailor turned newspaper cub reporter named Bruce Kirby was pursuing home-built designs to a development rule for 14-foot dinghies. 20 years later, with his first Kirby Mark I, the design that set the pace for the development class for years, journalist Kirby set off on a path of boat designer. That trip led in the early 1970s to his iconic planing dinghy, the Laser, the boat that put baby boomers on the water. Fox and Kirby, Alpha and Bruce. Fox and Kirby came together in the midst of the development of the granddaddy of planing craft, the International 14. During the 1920s, when International 6-meter teams were doing battle and keelboats between the U.S. and the U.K., an equally dedicated group of designers and builders chose the International 14 as their testbed for the idea of getting a lightweight, rounded shaped boat to rise out of the water and accelerate as no craft had done before. That suspension of physics and hydrodynamics we call getting on a plane. Whether you sail a sunfish, a laser, or any one of dozens of classes, you have Fox and his disciples to thank for the innovation and the experience. In post-World War I England, one Offa Fox was emerging as the driving force for dinghy development that started in that period. As we've said, the medium was the International 14. One of the great characters in the yachting and yacht design fields, he also designed small boat classes that included the Flying 15, where he crewed for Prince Philip, Duke of Edinburgh, in the 1950s. Other designs were the albacore, the firefly, the jolly boat. Remember how in these pre-World War II years of international six meters, Owen Stevens was the hot designer. For the years leading up to the end of World War II, Uffa Fox was the world's leading dinghy designer. The passing of the baton from Fox to other planing boat zealots the most successful of which was a young Canadian journalist named Bruce Kirby, is a story of radical design being combined with cutting-edge materials. There is a long and venerable lineup of International 14 competitions, some with massive fleets of boats in events like the English POW Cup. Two intense hand-to-hand team races in the Western Hemisphere, in Bermuda, America. Names like Glenn Foster... Colin Ratsey, Dick Carter, and the ultimate international 14 man, Dr. Stuart Walker, went to stoke the fire of the 14 phenomenon. Just look at the photos of the lines of his defiant. Uffa Fox started it all as Mr. Dinghy. The gallery has a set of these drawings. Another boat design philosopher, Alfie Sanford, whom we know as the Godfather of the coal-molded Nantucket-Hillerian, summarizes the phenomenon of how boat design cycles work to produce breakthrough innovation here in the planing dinghy. Our good friend, Peter Taylor, provides the history lesson.
1: In his 2021 book, Wooden Boats for Blue Water Sailors, Alfie writes, a race event like many human competitions develops over time in a pattern that is timeless. It begins with pioneers, A few brave and brilliant pioneers establish an idea. Pioneers inspire followers whose money and energy create a flourishing golden age in which the idea and the equipment for pursuing it are perfected. Sanford, page 19. The performance dinghy movement was all Ufa, Sanford thought. He continued. In 1927, England's irrepressible Ufa Fox upstarted sailboat racing with his invention of the planing dinghy, Avenger. In 1952, he extended the planing concept to keel boats with a flying 15. The planing boat ignored the demands of seaworthiness and radically increased the upper limit of speed under sail. Unbeatable on protected water, Ufa's conception won all races. While no one will call planing dinghies comfortable, for short spells they were great fun and great sport. Sanford, page 21. I'm sure Ufa would have loved to have designed in the cold molded construction era that Alfie has championed in his keelboat designs. Fox's boats were meticulously assembled pastiches of woods held together by glue and varnish known as hot-molded hulls. The building in World War II of the all-plywood hot-molded British night fighter, the Mosquito, may have done the most to propel dinghy designs towards their optimal construction method. This, in turn, enabled and accelerated the development of the planing design. Just look at Fox's portfolio with the Firefly, Albacore, Swordfish, National 12 and 18, and Jolly Boat. These were the prototypes for so many North American designs. Let's take a look. As the model for American designs like the Jet 14, the Thistle, and the Flying Scott. At the same time, American designers were tied to their massive J-boats. Fox thought small. His books, published to the depths of the Depression, were jam-packed with ideas and innovation for the small boat sailor.
0: Thanks, Peter, for that history. Not the first time that airplane and boating technology would converge, I believe. We know about that. Mark Smith, from Connecticut, who worked in publishing with Kirby and who edited the Bruce Kirby story, provided some drawings of what Alfie is talking about in terms of innovation in planing boats. Examine the line drawings of Avenger. Rounded surfaces, long flat runs aft. This is what gave Fox Designs the ability to get up and go downwind. The Kirby boat also details an interesting personal note. Alfie became a friend of Prince Philip, Duke of Edinburgh, and they raced together at Cow's Week on many occasions on Ford's Dragon Fresh Breeze. Or the Duke's Blue Bottle. He also took the royal children f- sailing. This despite his reputation for in- issuing instructions to the crew in far bluer language than is considered appropriate for royal ears. Now, for those of you who are following royal publishing these days, remember that was a different era. We'll be right back. Hey, a midwinter shout out to our partners in the northeast, Windcheck Media and Team One Newport. The January-February Windcheck magazine has our article that is the companion to this podcast. See the photos and drawings. Windcheck Sailing the Northeast. And whether you're going south, warm, north, this year pretty warm at least in New England or staying where you are. Mad Martha at Team One Newport has the clothing for you. Check it all on the website. And in Newport, take an off-season trip. There really isn't an off-season in sailing anymore. Mad Martha, not angry, just a little bit crazy. Now let's return to the story. Bruce, meet Uffa. Uffa, meet Bruce. How did they meet? The two may have first encountered each other in 1958 during an international team race for international 14s in cows on the isle of Wight, england bruce as we will see was a self-taught intuitive designer much like a rod johnstone of j-boats or ray hunt with the concordia his fame came from a series of international 14s the muscle car the dinghy set which in turn led to the introduction of lightweight, powerful trapeze dinghies like the 505 and Flying Dutchman. Kirby's path to the International 14 ran through his sailing on the Ottawa River in Canada. More like a lake than a stream, the river spawned a wide variety of designs, from scows to deep keelboats. As a 17-year-old in post-World War II Canada, he admired the Bork-designed 1933 International 14 Lady Esther. Canada's first international 14, and Bork designs were there to dominate the class in North America for many years. I'm sure he thought he could do better. Before and after World War II, his local Britannia Boat Club in Ottawa became the hotbed for 14 sailing in Canada. Designers and builders experimented with hot and coal-molded hull construction, pushing hulls to be lighter and stiffer, Although only a foot longer than Kirby's ultimate design of the 70s, laser, the 14 hiked helmsman and crew under a massive amount of sail. Unlike today, there was no trapeze. Kirby had, had two parallel vocations journalist by day and night, and amateur racer and designer in his spare time. I can identify. But sailor, writer, journalist, those are three balls tough to juggle and succeed. My friend from Nantucket, Nat Philbrick, would not in agreement. He wrote the admiring forward for Bruce's memoir. I'm here with Nat Philbrick, who, you know, I'm sure people always say needs no introduction, but he can, he he certainly is one of the most well-known American historians. Uh, Many people may or may not know that he's also a very astute sailor. From the island of Nantucket, which is an island which figures in many of my episodes. But he, I'm really here today to fill in some of the blanks of on Bruce Kirby and not on International 14s, not on the laser, but on bigger boats. And Nat can tell you the story of how he came to work with Bruce on on his boat, which is a, a yawl. I think that's a, that's a yawl, not a catch, mm-hmm. uh Phoebe, and also. Give us some thoughts, since Nat is the best sunfish network that I know. Uh, what he thought about the laser when he saw that come along? So those are our two subjects. Take it away. Yeah.
2: Well, well, great. Great to talk with you, Tom. And wonderful to have an excuse to talk about Bruce Kirby, who has been one of my heroes um, for since I was... Uh, A teenage kid in that uh, nautical center of the universe, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, reading every sailing magazine I could get my hands on, particularly uh, One Design Yachtsman, of which Bruce was uh, the editor. And and my uh, really begins for me, I guess, what year was that? 72, the first U.S. Youth Championships. Uh, And by that point, I had I was a sunfish racer. And uh, had I was sixteen, had just uh, raced in the Sunfish Worlds in Martinique, mm. and um, I weighed all of 125 mile, uh, pounds, and applied for the first U.S. U.S. Youth Championships, which was going to be sailed uh, outside Chicago on on Lake Michigan, in the new Laser, uh, a <laughs> boat I had never sailed before, and and as I said, I weighed all of 125 pounds. And went there, um, uh, not knowing what the heck was going to happen. Uh, completely intimidated by this group of young sailors from the East Coast, which you know I hadn't really met yet. Right. And uh, you know, Peter Komet, you yeah, know, all of who Peter Komet.
0: He's a, he could be very intimidating. I
2: yeah. I taught it he, at
0: Manteloking. I know Peter well.
2: Yeah, yeah. He was. You know, he 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 won it going away. I think he would then subsequently win um, the first world championship, but. Uh, you know, it was and for me, it was a boat. Uh, I'll never forget the first practice day um, we went out and it's this thing is like a you know, it's so it doesn't have a sunfish's chine. So it's mm-hmm. you know it's tippy in a way that I hadn't expected. It's got a big, big, powerful sail. And we headed out and, you know, sort of sailing along. And then they have to cancel the race because there was a thunderstorm came through and, it, you know, it was a gale. Boats capsized right and left, and I ended up planing and this is up
0: Chicago in the, in the Chicago. Lake Chicago.
2: It was oh, terrifying big lake. big lake, yeah. So big waves coming in, and so I was like, Holy, anyway. So I got back and, um, and then proceeded to begin racing. We had one light air race, which is great for me. I did well in that, but then it started to blow. And I, you know, it was just overpowering for me. This was before the radial rig or anything like that. And, um, and I, you know, I ended up for all, anyways, I ended up dead last. And, um, and should, wouldn't you know, uh, Bruce Kirby's uh, uh, magazine published the, all the results of that Mm -hmm. UFU championship. So there I was, you know, finally made, um, uh, you know, the, the great Bible of, of, Sail, small boat racers and I was dead last but oh, um, boy. so that began my relationship with Bruce in a way
0: okay. and then
2: um after college um and a year of grad school I um got a job at this met the same magazine uh which was now was then called it's now sailing world but was then called uh yacht racing and slash Cru- racing
0: and cruising right
2: yeah just a terrible title but anyways and it was uh, still in Darien, Connecticut, yeah. and so um, and so uh, I started working there, and I was, you know, I. I didn't Bruce know that met...
0: I didn't know that you were there. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. I was there for four years. Mark yeah. Smith uh, was the art director, and um, and Bruce was no longer working there. Major Hall was the editor, uh, but the uh, you know, of course, Bruce's refutation uh, loomed large. And the first time I met Bruce. Uh, was when he came into the offices with his good friend, Paul Elstrom. Oh, my dear. <laughs> you know, which was like meeting. It's uh, like
0: Mickey Mantle coming, yeah, sitting next yeah. to you in
2: Yankee Stadium. Exactly. And, you know, and I shook Paul Elstrom's hand and, and Bruce Kirby's hand. Mm. You know, like, wow, uh, it wow. doesn't get much better than this.
0: Was it Bruce's encounter in cows that pushed Kirby to be a more formal designer? That was the 58th running of a 14s team event that had dated back to the 1930s that propelled a young journalist, he was still just 30, into the precarious world of yacht design. He told the story of the rough-and-tumble finals between Canada and New Zealand. It was a sort of demolition derby taken to water. But, as he said, it spurred him to put pencil to paper and design my first boat. Mark Smith took on the project of producing Kirby's memoir. The creative director for a series of sailing publications, beginning with one design yachtsman, Mark was his confidant. Pages of Kirby's 2021 memoir detail his growth as a designer from Torch, the Kirby Mark I with the bright orange topsides, KC-205. His dinghy design practice was in high gear from 1958 to 1971 when he moved away from the 14th to create the laser. From the prototype Kirby I through to the standard of the Kirby Mark IV, scores of Kirby designs were built in both wood and fiberglass. Bruce was especially proud of supplying Stuart Morris, perhaps the closest that the UK had in the time, to an Arthur Knapp or a Buddy Melges, winning the last of his 12 Prince of Wales Cups in the Kirby Mark II. Encore. With the backing of Jeremy Putney, a De Beers Diamonds executive, Kirby put out a new 14 design every two years, finishing up with the Mark Seven. I was very fortunate to hear from Tom Price of Annapolis, who was the crew for another renowned 14 sailor, Doctor Stuart Walker. His pictures of Walker's Kirby Four, the Porsche 911 of International Fourteens, show an exquisite marquetry. Of woods on a hull that weighs not much more than an inner club dinghy. Check out the gallery and marvel at the woodwork of that Kirby Mark IV. When 1971 came along, the chapter of Kirby's 14 dinghy career that eclipsed all others took a new direction with the introduction of the laser. Born as the Weekender, winner of its first card topper dinghy bake off put on by a boat magazine, his own magazine. In the past, the design came out of a Kirby desk drawer to become a generational sailing icon. Hundreds of thousands of lasers later, with many of those boats sailed by baby boomers all the way through to Gen Z, the laser represents too many superlatives to list. It was the it boat for our crowd. Everyone has their laser story. Nat Philbrick has his at the 1972 Youth Championships in Chicago and Lake Michigan. In my interview about Kirby with Nat, he detailed his showing up with his laser from Pittsburgh, tipping the scales, weighing 126 pounds, sopping wet, and discovering the need for human ballast when the wind blows. I could uh, restate the interview as follows. Uh, In light air, I was at the top the first day. More wind the second day, the middle. Finally, heavy air. Finally, I was last. Nat faced the sobering fact of the need for weight and strength embedded in the performance DNA of the laser. I have my own laser adoption story. I had a rebuilt wooden thistle, number 973, until my freshman year of college, when I heard about this laser, the hot new boat. I was going to be the director of sailing at Mantaloking, a fabled center of Barnegat Bay Sailing. Jim Miller, who happened to be a thistle champ, was proprietor of Oyster Bay Boat Shop and was a dealer. The first dealer, I believe. Within five minutes of haggling, I had traded the thistle to Jim for laser number 1942, orange. I drive to the Jersey Shore with a boat on the roof. Drivers are staring at me on the New Jersey Turnpike. I arrive at Mantaloking's pebbled parking lot. I rig the boat. I go out to the Tuesday night races. I lead in the first race to the weather mark. I head down. I death roll in 10 knots of wind in front of my entire sailing class. That's the laser. Bruce Kirby would have appreciated it. So what is the Kirby legacy? I asked his biographer, Mark Smith, as well as the writer of the foreword for that book, Nat Philbrick, what is it about this journalist, sailor-designer, as Nat Philbrick calls him, a triple threat? How did he see the world of sailing, writing, and designing coming together? Kirby was a man who, in 2020, in his speech, described himself as a, quote, sailing addict. Mark Smith said to me that besides his regret in not winning an Olympic metal. Bruce was always positive. He was one of the greatest intuitive designers we all knew. He loved to go fast. Mark recounted that. Bruce said his idea of One Design is performance. Mark summarized Bruce's contribution to the sport of sailing in his introduction to the book. Quote, this Canadian kid reshaped the sport of sailing around the world. He saw the Kirby story as one of, quote, skill, adventure, risky business, sweet success, memorable characters, and international acclaim, unquote. And what says the famous author and former employee of the yachting magazine that Bruce ran? Nat Philbrick worked for One Design Yachtsman in Chicago under Bruce at age 25. He writes in a foreword that every young sailor should read, for its simplicity and its depth. Simply, quote, no one has done more for the growth and popularity of sailing than Bruce Kirby. So there you have it. Send us your own laser story. Or better, if you're an international 14 sailor, that story as well. Thanks to Nat Philbrick and Mark Smith for lending your ear and your stories. We have a new podcast coming to you in the next month. It's called Classic Conversations. Pure interview with the most interesting boating characters that I can find. Session one, come listen to Dave Perry, intercollegiate champ, rules guru, match race mentor, in the first episode. Let's see. It's Charlie Rose meets Barbara Walters. Sorry, uh, Oprah and Ellen. Access it just as you do another Conversations episode. And if it keeps working, we'll maybe give it its own site. And thanks again for listening to Conversations with Classic Boats. If you haven't subscribed, subscribe wherever you, you get your podcasts. And give us a rating. Five stars, please. Sign up wherever you can as we work to bring the conversation to more sailors. By our count, we're reaching over a million and a half sailing households. So join the crew. Thanks to our participant and narrator, Peter Taylor. We'll be hearing from him coming up on a fascinating six-meter story in the next couple of months. And I can't thank Mark Smith and Matt Philbrook enough. Mark, one of Bruce's Most prolific collaborators, thanks for providing great photos and drawings. And many thanks to the busy man from Nantucket, Nat Philbrick, for lending his historical gravitas to the Kirby story. I'm a huge fan of Nat's history books, and you should be too. So a reminder, look for the posting of the first Classic Conversation. Same location, find us at conversationswithclassicboats.com. Dave Perry will be our first guest. Don't forget Spectrum Cable. Just hit the podcast button on the screen. This episode was written by Tom Darling and produced by Griffin Bengroff. Special credit to Jason Ross. And take care of yourself, someone else if you can. Fair Sailing, Tom Darling. And we'll roll the old chariot along We'll roll the old chariot along We'll roll the old chariot along And we'll all have